We all have to praise and praise God. Thank you for reminding me of some great things, too. I'm blessed. You know, we all get a lot of advice in life, don't we? Uh, how many people got advice this week? Come on, no? Yeah, all right. So we all get a lot of it. And, and that's good because we do, and we know that we all need support, we need help, we need knowledge, we need sharpening, uh, even reality checks at times, we need. Yet, we gotta be careful about the advice we get, don't we? Uh, we gotta be careful of the advice we pay for. Uh, I'm on my third rounds of clips that go on gutters to get those big outside lights up because of advice I took and it didn't work. Right? So you got to be careful and, and you have to keep searching. Um, and sometimes uh, you meet people like this guy on our slide up here. I don't know if you can see this. Advice, 50 cents. Good advice, two bucks. Sounds like a bargain, doesn't it? It really does. That is, a, if it's good, good advice. You know, maybe you've heard some of the tongue-in-cheek advice that's out there. You know, I've heard a lot of different advice, and we just want to have a little fun with advice this morning. But maybe you've heard this advice. Whatever you do, always give 100%. How many people have heard that? Yeah, unless you're donating blood. Amen? Right? You can't have everything in life, right? I mean, where would you put it? Right? Right? People often say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why it's recommended to do it daily. Amen? Amen. We need motivation daily and bathing daily. Then there's some more modern-day advice. Before you marry a person you should first make them use a computer with a slow internet to see how they respond. Oh, isn't that the truth? I don't know that you'd want to be around me when I used to have to deal with slow internet. And then there's dance like nobody is watching. You know, because nobody is watching because they're all checking their phones. <laughs> right? In our day and age, that's true. And then this is kind of a, my favorite one, and it tickles me a little bit. Never make eye contact while eating a banana. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh. These tongue-in-cheek advices, they really are kind of fun, and we do need advice in life, but really, there are times when we need advice that's really good advice. And that's when it comes down to the matters of life and of death that really matters. Decisions like, what, will, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my career? Who should I marry? Who should I not marry? Should I pay this high price? Should I make this great sacrifice or suffer these painful things for this person or these people or to complete this work? Should I really go that far? We all have to evaluate, don't we, as we go along in life, the wisdom and the advice that's given to us, and we have to do this kind of advice at a whole other level, because these things are about life and death. Here we are in our final stretch in our journey through the book of Acts. Our, our chapter today, Acts 21, recounts events and experiences that Paul has encountered as he's traveled from Ephesus, and he's on his way to his destination, which is Jerusalem. And, and he's on this destination, and guess what? He's on it against 
the advice and counsel of the believers who are with him and many that meet him along the way, including his traveling companions who don't think he should be going to Jerusalem. He should be on this trip. But Paul perseveres nonetheless. So I want to ask you a question. How do you and I know as followers of Jesus? How do you and I appraise and evaluate advice that's given to us about our life and it's given to us by others when the suffering is involved, when pain could be involved, when trial might be involved? How do you evaluate that advice that's given to you by others? How, how do you know and determine the will of God when your circumstances are dangerous? Do you just always avoid all danger? Is that the will of God? We think so sometimes in our culture. Um, how do you know? How do you know if it requires great sacrifice? Is this God's will or not? What if there is a real probability that you'll have suffering? How do you know when your other friends or other believers around you are counseling you to not progress in this perilous way? How do you know? How do, you, how do you know if that's God's will when it's what you believe it is God's will to go that way? How do you know? Well, this morning we're going to look at a chapter that really kind of addresses some of those issues. Because Paul had some people who loved him. And these are godly people. And these are people that were trying to follow Christ. And yet they had different advice for Paul. Why was that happening? Why was, why was that difference happening? It happened more than once. It actually happened at least three times on this journey. Why was that happening? So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open to Acts chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. And we're going to determine how to apprise, how to appraise advice, even from godly people when suffering is involved. Let's read. After we had torn ourselves away, man, the people in Ephesus loved him and he loved them. It says that he put out to sea and he sailed straight to coast. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Prada. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on, went on board, and we set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. This is a man on a mission, and he's making great headway. He's moving. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. It's kind of neat, because in the other missionary journeys of Paul, these churches had been planted and people had been one and now he's going back on this final journey to Jerusalem and then to Rome and he's meeting with these believers. He said they stayed seven days. Though the Spirit, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit, they urged him. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to them about what's going to happen to Paul. He's speaking to Paul about what's going to happen to him. And they're urging him through the Spirit to not go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and we continued on our way. All of them, including their wives and their children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. That was uncommon. But they cared about it. And after saying goodbye to each other, we went on board the ship and they returned home. We continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed at 
Temple Thomas, something like that, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. <coughs> Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist. Remember Philip? He's one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So it was really kind of cool. He had daughters who believed in Christ, and they had a spiritual gift of prophecy, and they were prophets and prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, he came down from Judea, and coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, just in the fashion of an Old Testament prophet. He grabbed his belt off him. You know what? You don't want to go after my belt, but I guess Paul was thinner than me. So he got his belt, and he tied up his own hands, Agabus did, with Paul's belt and his feet, and he said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. This was going to happen. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. There they're doing it again. Don't go up. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping? Because they weren't just asking him, they were crying and asking him. They were beseeching him. He says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. And then the chapter continues. The Lord's will be done. Wow. How, when discerning the will of God for your life, when do you and I need to be careful of the advice given to us, even from godly loved ones? Have you ever thought about that? that you need to be discerning and careful, even from advice that comes from people who love and care about you. When might a loved one become an obstacle for you in doing the will of God for your life? Can you imagine a loved one being that? Well, the Bible says, yes, I've had loved ones um, help me do the will of God, and I've had loved ones be obstacles to the will of God. I hope you have found yourself in those situations, too. Because that's where relationships are real. And so this morning we want to talk about that. What is the first thing that we have to do? What is the first thing that these folks had to do if they were going to be able to know, was this advice from God or not, and what should we do with it? Well, we know from Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, that the Apostle Paul, he firmly believed that, the, that God's will for him was to go to Jerusalem, and more than likely face prison, hardship, and suffering there. He believed this was the path he was to follow and the race he was to run to fulfill God's gift or, or the task God had given him, which was to testify of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you were to look back in chapter 20, you would see that. Paul accepted that reality. He accepted the reality of suffering. He believed it was a, a part of God's plan for his life. But his friends and his fellow disciples were struggling with this reality. They didn't like it. They were having a hard time with it. And they were jumping to conclusions. Chapter 21 begins with this sentence. After we had <coughs> torn ourselves away from them, 
we put out to sea. This was not an easy goodbye with these people. These people had been really close and tight with Paul. Paul had poured his life into them. He had loved them, and they had loved him. And it was difficult for them to embrace God's will for his life. See, godly people who love us most can sometimes give us the worst advice. I hope that's not news to you, but that, that should be a reality that we have, to, we have to grapple with. They can actually work to dissuade us from the will of God. And how and why do they do this? Well, <clears throat> this won't be up on your, your board, um, but you need to put this in your notes. Why do they do this and how do they do this? People who love us, people who are even trying to follow God. Well, they do it first for this reason. In their love and care for us, they think about us and they think about our comfort first. That's what they do. That's what they put first. Us and our comfort. And then God and his wisdom, his will, his call, his plan, they put second. They don't mean to do that. They don't always mean to do that. But they just can't see beyond their love for you. And so they put their love and their compassion, they put all that and their love for you and your comfort first. And God's will and purpose is second. Well, then there's another thing that they do. They focus on the pain that will accompany a decision over the benefits that will come. They focus on the pain over the benefits, on the loss or the disruptive change because it will bring change that will result, they'll focus on that over the gain that it will bring to others and to God and to the universe and to us. That's what they focus on. And then finally, they're giving advice while in grief. That's really the problem. You and I, if we're going to know God's will, and we're going to be able to discern it, especially in a situation where it could cause suffering, uh, we have to deal with our grief as we determine that, and any grief or trauma that we've had in our lives. Folks, we can't let trauma and grief go unresolved and unhealed. You don't make good decisions that way. None of us do. We've got to work through the cycle of grief before we can make good, sound decisions. And, and remember what the cycle of grief is, right? You suffer a loss in life of any kind. It could be job, could be losing a loved one, could be suffering a, a bad hit in your life. And what you hit is you hit these five stages, and here they are, and you know them, you've heard them. The first one's denial, and these don't always come in order. You bounce around. But these are in the cycle of grief. There are five that are normal. Denial, you know, you just want to deny it ever happened. Anger, you're afraid and you're angry that it happened. You want to blame somebody. You're upset. Bargaining, you try to make a deal with God. You try to make a deal with all sorts of things to try to resolve and get things back the way it was before. Depression, when you began to think, oh my gosh, this really did happen. I really did suffer this loss. And now I'm without. And then finally acceptance. This really did happen. I've got to move on. I've got to grow on. I've got to heal. And you move on. And so you've got those five things. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And you bounce around those. And you circle those. And often when we suffer great losses, we have to circle through those things numerous times. 
And it may take us a long time to get through them all. And we sometimes get stuck in one level or one place. And if we get stuck, we don't grow, we don't move on until we get unstuck. There are some people that believe there's like three other parts in the cycle too. One of them is guilt. And we know that's true when suffering a loss. When suffering a loss, and even a loved one, we sometimes feel guilt. Guilt about our relationships, or if we lose a job, guilt about how we performed or didn't perform. Guilt about decisions we made. We, guilt is a part of the cycle of grief. There's also another point called an upward turn. And that's where we begin to look at, for something bigger, a bigger picture, or we begin to look at God and his direction in our lives. And that really helps us to get through grief. And then finally, reconstruction. We begin to rebuild our lives. We begin to rebuild our relationships. We begin to rebuild how we view things and change how we view things. And we grow. And that's kind of a cool stage. Um, those things happen in our life. And when we have grief, we don't make good decisions, do we? You know, I can remember when, when I was choosing to come here. Uh, I can still remember my mother in the car outside of her house and I'm down there. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, Kelly, why do you have to go? I mean, come on. You know, you're, you're leaving, you're, you're taking your kids. And, and I looked at her and I said, Mom, I've got to go because God is calling and it's his will. At that point, she couldn't see that, because all she could see was her love for us and love for her kids, or our kids, her grandkids. And this is a woman who had given me great advice all along in life, always knowing the will of God. But yet here, she didn't, because she was in grief because of the loss of losing us. But you know what? Little did we know that she was going to die about a month or so later months before we moved out here and uh, and she wasn't gonna <coughs> be without us she was gonna be with the Lord and it was gonna be okay neither of us knew that at the time you know I had a conversation with a middle-aged father also who um, about the value and need of allowing our, our kids our growing kids to experience appropriate challenge and pain and suffering as we parent and raise them so very, very important. And I, and I use some phrases that I often use, and, and I say, you know, remember, we have to prepare our kids for the road, not the road for our kids. If you've been around me, you've heard me say that. We're raising adults, we're not keeping children going. So we're preparing them for the road, not the road for them. And, and I would use other adages, like the old sea fairy adage, a smooth sea never made a skilled, mature, and experienced sailor, right? Roosevelt said that, Franklin D. Smooth seas never made a skillful sailor. No, not ever. And this really complements an athletic adage that exhorts us and says what? No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. Challenge, pain, suffering, loss, they have a powerful role in growing us, in honing us, in blessing us, and in making us a blessing for other people. And so I was sharing this with this middle-aged father. And, and I go, if you apply these metaphors spiritually, 
If you're following the Lord, and he's Lord over you and your kids, and he's their father, we can honestly and openly engage with our kids, and the Lord can and will use even things like bad coaches. Oh my gosh, could that be God's will for you or your kids to have a bad coach and, and have to suffer through that, through your athletics? Well, maybe so. He can use bad coaches. What about a subpar teacher? Can God use a teacher who might keep a little, you know what, a, in their, in their uh, pop can in their desk? Well, God can and God did, right? I know I'm trying not to get too specific. <laughs> can God use hard circumstances to teach our kids things? And mold them in ways that otherwise they would not have grown in? You bet. See, we have to allow our kids as parents to go through suffering and pain. To grow in care. That's the only way their character grows. That's the only way their faith grows. But we want to protect them from it. Jody's had to help hold me more than once. Oh, baby. Because <laughs> I was going to go take my kid off and I was going to give that coach or that person not just part of my mind, but my whole mind. I was going to give 100% of my mind and maybe something to boot when I was younger. And I had to learn, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. We need to be open to this, I told this young father, and teach our kids to lean on the Lord and to trust him as they grow, as they seek to grow and learn and, and to overcome the bad and the suffering and to teach them to do overcome those things with good and receive God's blessing and his fellowship in that suffering because Jesus suffered too. And all of a sudden, as we begin to talk, suddenly this middle-aged dad realized, and he blurts out to me, because of the bad I went through growing up, I just realized I've tried to protect my kids from all pain and suffering. I didn't really deal with it. And I've tried to protect them from all pain and suffering. In doing this, I've stunted their growth. I've stunted their ability to overcome. I've stunted their experience of God proving that he's enough. I've stunted their ability to be a blessing to other people that they could have been and to themselves. That's what happens. Unresolved trauma and grief will give us blind spots. It will cause us to operate in fear rather than faith, and it will make us lopsided so that we make parenting mistakes. And we don't allow our kids to, to meet appropriate challenges and suffering and pain that will grow them. Man, they're not supposed to meet every single pain, right? But there are appropriate. There's appropriateness. And it's good. Let them, let them experience as much as possible. So if you and I want to evaluate rightly the advice that's given us, and we want to make better decisions for our future and the future that are <coughs> of others that we're speaking into, we have to honestly and prayerfully work through and resolve and heal from our own grief and trauma. Do you have any loss that you've not dealt with? Have, do you have any trauma that you have not faced or found healing from? It's going gonna, it's gonna to create trouble for you. Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to other people. We have therapists in this congregation. I won't have them raise their hands, but you all know them, and people that you could talk to. You don't even have to talk to a therapist. 
and honestly and prayerfully work through it and find healing. You may have a scar, but heal that scar so that it doesn't make you lopsided and you don't miss. You see that? Man, and I want you to know I've struggled with that too because I've sometimes wanted to go, oh, no, 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 I, want, I don't want you to feel that pain. I don't want you to suffer that thing because I want everybody to be happy and triumphant, right? I want victory always. Come on, y'all. I want that. And I've had to learn, no, settle down. They may need to go through this, and they may need to face this. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. The second thing in making these good decisions and appraising our advice is to recommit to your calling every time, daily, and to finish the task, the work Jesus has given you to do. Finish the task and work he's called you to do. You might have things trying to dissuade you from that, but finish it. <coughs> if he's spoken it and it's God's will now, what makes it not God's will later, and especially if they're suffering? Do you get me? Remember the contentious encounter of Jesus and Peter in Matthew 16? Jesus began to explain to his disciples, listen, and just uh, we're going up here to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of these elders, the chief priests and, priests and teachers of the law. I'm telling you now, I'm going to be murdered. And then I'm going to raise back to life on the third day. Well, this is blowing their minds. Could you imagine hearing that? Could you imagine how those disciples felt? This was supposed to be a triumphant time. They just had the triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. Now you're telling us that you're not going to live? And you're going to suffer? And you're not going to make it? You're telling us there's going to be a horrible, painful tragedy in the end? As opposed to this victory? They were struggling. Well, Peter's listening, and you know, Peter's thinking, like maybe some of you and I would think if we're hearing somebody say, this is what I believe God's will for my life is, it's his pain and suffering, he's thinking, oh, no. No, 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 no. He took Jesus aside, he rebuked him passionately and sharply. He looked right at him. He knew he was the Lord of the universe, he was God Almighty. Peter was the one who said, you're the son of the living God, but he looked at him and said, never, Lord, could you imagine <laughs> the audacity of Peter to think he could speak to the creator of the universe that way? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But you know why he said it, right? He loved him. He had passion for him. He cared about him. And he, and he had expectations for him. And we have loved ones that do the same. And he says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. We're all familiar with that response. But what did Jesus say back to him? Because Jesus had to get his attention. He was so fired up. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan! Exclamation point. Get behind me! I'm the Lord of the universe. Get behind me. I'm not getting behind you. I know my will. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns or plans or priorities or things of God, but merely human concerns. You need to, at this point, if you're going to give good advice, Peter, you need to have God's concerns and know God's mind and will. You love me. You care about me. But you only have human concerns. You need to see that clearly. Doesn't that sound familiar with what was going on with Paul and his Christian friends who were exhorting him? 
same thing was going on. Oswald, Oswald Chambers stated this, to go looking for suffering means there is something wrong in you or in your thinking. I hope <coughs> none of us go, are running around looking for more suffering, right? However, he says, to choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy follower of Jesus ever chooses suffering. No, he or she chooses God's will, as Jesus did, as Paul did, whether it means suffering or not. Are you choosing? Do you see that? Do you see how it interplays? Agabus, the prophet, took Paul's belt from him. He tied up his hands and feet. He declared, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt in Jerusalem. <coughs> and then you're going to be handed over to Jewish leaders and to the Gentiles. Well, this prophecy was true. This prophecy was genuine. This prophecy was from the Holy Spirit. See, but to this true word of the Spirit, guess what happened? The believers around Paul added a misguided human application or word to it. That's what they did. They assumed. They added this word, which was not from the Lord. Rather, it came from their grief. It came from their sense of loss. It came from their human aspiration to care. That's where it came from. So we got to be careful. After leaving Ephesus, Paul had received several of these prophetic words regarding these events that were waiting for him in Jerusalem. This is what God does when he's trying to prepare you to meet suffering. But they weren't seeing it that way. At least the disciples around him, Paul was seeing it that way because he knew that suffering was going to be a part of his walk with the Lord. Therefore, Paul declares to his fellow disciples and his friends here, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm ready. This is God's will. Did you not know from the very beginning? Paul's insistence on going to Jerusalem despite the, the, the dangers that were predicted by the Holy Spirit it wasn't a result of rebellion. No, it was an obedience response to the command of God. The call of the Spirit in his heart. This is what's going to happen. The disciples or his other friends were making other, drawing other conclusions. Paul knew this is God's conclusion. He was bound in spirit to go to Jerusalem. He knew this was his call. It was in his initial calling in Acts chapter 9. If you go back to it and you look at verses 15 through 16 in Acts chapter 9, Jesus had told Ananias and Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What's Paul's call? That, that may not be your call. You may not be called to as much suffering as Paul, but you are called to some. You may not be called to as much pain as Paul, but you're called to some. You not, may not be called to as, as much trial as Paul, but you're going to be called to some if you're going to follow in the Lord's footsteps. Because God has promised that. In this world, there will be tribulation, but be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. So the warnings of the Holy Spirit in our present chapter today they're intended to prepare Paul. They're not, prepared, they're not intended to stop him. So if we continue to recommit ourselves to our calling and recommitted ourselves to our finished 
uh, the work that Jesus has given us to do, we're going to know God's will for us. We're going to be able to stay in it. We're going to be able to remain faithful to it, whether there's suffering or not. See, whether there's suffering or not, we can remain faithful to it. So that's important. Always know what you're called to. Always know what he's called you to do, and then follow through and do it. Unless he says something differently. Lastly, they said, the will of the Lord be done. That was the last kind of disciples. The will of the Lord be done. Paul's fellow disciples, including Luke, the writer of this book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, they came to this understanding that God's will would be done. They came to a trust that even if Paul was probably right, but even if he was wrong, God's will would, would use it. God's will would be done. And they realized we're still working through it. We're not able to agree with him on this yet, but we're going we're gonna to listen and we're going to keep working through it. Again, these warnings of danger came from the Holy Spirit. They're meant to prepare. The request by his friends, his loved ones, to turn back, it was understandable, right? Even logical. Yet it wasn't of God. They recognize as much when, when, when they hear a tribute Paul's insistence to go to Jerusalem as the will of the Lord. They realize, you know, this probably is the will of the Lord. And we've got to embrace it. It really is easy to do that <coughs> with people, isn't it? But it's a source of trouble to us. When we add our interpretation, our application to what God has spoken or commanded to us, and we think that this is also from the Lord. I've had the Lord many times say to me, look at, well, you jumped to conclusions. You, uh, I didn't say that. You took the ball that I gave you and I put you here and now you ran with it. And I didn't say that. Come back and listen to what I'm saying and then respond, right? If we're not careful, we can many times judge too quickly and too easily God's will for somebody else and guess what we do? We insulate them from God's refining fire and his refining work in their life. We can protect them from suffering that could build their character. We could even protect them from trials that could turn their work into gold. All because we went too quick. Went too quick. We have to remain in the compelling guidance of the Holy Spirit. See, that's what's important to do. That really is. We have to remain there in his teaching, his counsel, his leading. The Lord has spoken, remain in his word, remain in his leaning. And you're going to be okay, I'm going to be okay. Some of the best, best work of God, both in my heart, in your heart, and in ministry has come by remaining in that compelling guidance of the Holy Spirit through suffering. Through suffering and coming out the other side to victory. Amen. The Apostle Peter, he also understood the place of suffering and doing the will of God, and he writes this in 1 Peter 4.1, <coughs> as I kind of conclude this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. You know, you're no longer going to just follow your own flesh or your own carnal way, because you're willing to follow and do God's will through suffering. That means sin's on its way out. Isn't that cool? 
1 Peter 2, 19-21 says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because they are conscious of God. If you're conscious of him and you're doing his will and you bear up, that is commendable. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? See, that's not a credit. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this, Peter says, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Let's keep the will of God. Let's keep God Almighty first. <coughs> right? Let's keep it first. And then, regardless if they're suffering or pain, we're going to accomplish the will of God. Let's not put comfort and freedom from suffering and pain first. Because then the, world, the will of God will not, be will not be accomplished. Do you see suffering as part of God's will for your life? Do you accept and recognize suffering as an important part of your, uh, of your friend and loved one's life? They're supposed to have something to do too. Do you embrace this perspective as you discern and counsel the believers and family you love? Do you embrace it? Right? We're all going to feel pain, but you want it to be for a purpose, don't you? Why have pain for nothing? Correct? Why have pain for doing sin or not doing the will of God? So it's, it's going to be there one way or the other <coughs> because we have adversaries out there as well. And because our flesh resists, and because we have people in process, there's always going to be that tension. It's better to do the will of God. Because suffering is going to be around regardless. And now you learn and grow from it, rather than just take it for nothing. Do you see that for your loved ones? And, and when you counsel a loved one, do you stop to pray first and say, all right, this looks pretty tough. This looks like this could be create, create pain and suffering for you. It looks like you could get hammered. But as I prayed, the will of the Lord said, do it. I'm in support of it. Do it. Do it. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 17, Paul says in that letter to that church, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, that far outweighs them all. There is an eternal glory, there is a blessing that far outweighs all of our suffering and all of our troubles and makes it so worth it. We're going to be high-fiving each other, chest bumping, just screaming, praising the Lord, all that when we're in heaven. I'm telling you, if Jesus were to come back today, and some of us here, raise your hand if you suffered this week. Did you suffer to do the will of God this week? Yeah. If Jesus comes back today or tonight, we're going to be slapping and saying, Ah! Woo! That was no big whoopee. Look where we're at now. Look what we've accomplished now. And as we see God bear fruit and do great things, it's no big whoopee. Because God's got a plan and a will. Right? And, and, and so we've got to take that perspective and, and look at one another's lives that way. And be able then to give counsel that is godly and counsel that helps us to have strength as we move into suffering and suffer for the will of Jesus. I want you to stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Amen.
I just want you to know, if you come to me, I don't want anybody to suffer. I don't, I don't want anybody to feel pain. I always want to fix things. I'm a guy. But at the same time, um, if you're supposed to suffer, uh, I'm not going to coddle you. To, I'm not going to keep you from feeling a pain that's going to cause you to grow and to learn. You can ask my wife. She, she knows it's true. <laughs> because I have learned that that's the only way to live and be blessed. So I feel just like you feel. Man, don't want to see that happen. But let's give godly advice to each other. Let's stand. Let's not assume what the Holy Spirit is saying. Let's hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, and let's choose the will of God even if it is suffering. It'll be to his glory and our blessing. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would just continue to, uh, God, mold us and make us like you did Paul. God used Paul's example and uh, the example of his life and the example of how he made decisions. Um, use this episode of the tension between him and, and these disciples and help us, God, to be able to appraise the advice in our life in a more holy, godly way that will take us to a place better than we've gone before. Lord, help us not to fear the future, but to know that you are Lord of it and you are good. And that these light and momentary troubles that we are facing will achieve for us an eternal glory that will far outweigh them all. Um, you are working on our behalf to bless us. You are working. And uh, we want to be a part of that. So glorify yourself through us, through our church and on this earth. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, it seems like there's something I should be sharing with you today. Um, help me out. Are there any announcements before we leave? Did somebody say? Any announcements before we leave? It seems like there's some. It's great to have Jason and Jeannie back. Yeah, they made it back from down south. All right. What else am I missing? Yes. Pray for the youth group, Misty. That's what I was wanting to do. Let's stop. Put a hand on uh, our, one of our youth leaders, all of our youth leaders, and on any youth that might be here. Let's pray together for them. God, to bless their mission to Minnesota. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do believe you have a purpose and plan for these students and these leaders as they head to Minnesota. Bless their mission to Minnesota. God, help them to not miss your mission for their mission. Help them to be in the center of your mission and to embrace your work and what you're doing, even if it's different than what they expect. God, meet every need that they have. Bless them. Uh, surprise them with joy. Surprise them with your power and your grace. Uh, take them further than they, than they ever expected they could go and, and bless them and use them to your glory, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. And so we just thank you for your care as they go, and we thank you for using them uh, to your glory uh, as they're there. Encourage our missionaries there, Jeff and Chris and uh, Nick and Karen and everyone else that they work with up in the, in the um, Twin Cities. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Yes, keep them in prayer. Praise the Lord. Hey, have a great Sunday. Lord bless you. Amen.